and it's been giving us fits, and we're going to have to get another one. So uh, we'll reschedule him, and we apologize about that, brother. John chapter 4, John chapter 4, and uh, I know that he made you sit down, but you're going to kill me. Uh, I'm going to ask you to stand right back up. I'm sorry. And uh, we've only been doing this for about 19 years now, so uh, maybe we'll get the hang of it. John chapter 4, verse 31, and as we read, actually, I would like to go down, if I may, let's go down to verse 33, no, 31, 31, 31 good. I'll make up my mind here in a minute. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said one to another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this is the saying true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. Heavenly Father, I ask you to bless the reading of your word. God, as we pause for a few moments here, I just, we need you to still our hearts and to calm our, just calm our spirits. Lord, there's so much going on in our land, in our world, and there's so much going on in our lives. And Lord, we desperately need you. We know that we fall short of your glory. We know that we're sinners. And God, we desperately need your power working in us, moving us. Lord, we absolutely know that without you, we can do nothing. And so we pray right now for your strength and your wisdom. Lord, we, we need to move beyond ourselves. We need to grow in our faith and our love and our devotion to you. And Father, I pray for these next few moments. Please help us to focus. It's not the desire of our flesh but it's the desire of our hearts, Lord, that we might hear from you, that we might be changed. Jesus, you are everything to us. You are why we sing. You are why we are here. We bless your name. We exalt you. We lift you up. I pray for your help, Lord. I'm inadequate. I cannot do this. Without your help, without your spirit, without your power. Please, God, move in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray. And amen. Thank you. you may be seated. As I drive to church and perhaps you watch the television programs or you listen to different people and you see different things, we're often confronted with this reality that the reason, Jesus is the reason for the season, and we know that. And 
I'm thankful I know the idea behind that. But you know, Jesus ought to be the reason of our life every day of our lives, not just Christmas. And I'm uh, aware, as you are, of what's going on in our world. I don't know. I try to watch enough news to be informed, but not to be swayed. I'm not speaking politically. I'm speaking of right and wrong, good versus evil. I'm talking about an evil agenda. And things are going south quickly. And we worry, what can we do? At the time of our text, the Jews were under Roman oppression. The Romans told them what they could do and how they could do it. They were allowed to worship as long as they didn't violate certain Roman principles. As long as they gave tribute to Caesar and paid their taxes and dues, they were allowed certain rights. But the Roman government was not at all, not at all friendly to Judaism nor to Christianity. And we find ourselves in that place today. We find ourselves where stretches are being made and we're moving further and further away. The gap is widening between our political leaders and biblical principle. Some might even say that there might be of some an evil agenda. But I will tell you this. There's one thing that we can do, one thing that we actually should do, one thing we've been commanded to do that makes all the difference in the world. That one thing is we have been called to testify of the goodness and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been called to spread the good news of our Savior. And I think well-intentioned we have moved from one-on-one witnessing to having special days and programs and expecting the church to have this big event where all kinds of lost people come and get saved. But you'll not find that concept in the Scriptures. I think it's great that we have a day and someone comes and they get saved, but that was not the primary source of evangelism in the Scriptures. Have you ever thought about someone that is lost, that is unsaved? The Bible says they are at enmity with God. Most lost people don't want to come to church. There's a big contingency of people that are saved that don't want to come to church. What makes us think that we can open the doors and do churchy things and the world is going to flock in and want to hear and be saved? See, we have moved away from the early church to this American modernized system where we have a big sermon, an invitation, and the invitation is stirring enough people will come and be saved, but that's foreign in the Scriptures. And so Jesus is finishing up a, a, a day, a long day of ministry. He goes over to the woman at the well. You know the story. He, had, he said, I must needs go through Samaria. You know, all that that entails. And he goes and he has this conversation with this woman at the well. She takes off and she heads into town because she has 
met the Messiah. And she goes in and she tells the people, Come see this man I met. He told me everything I ever did. This must be the Messiah. And we are told that many people then follow her out of the city to the well. While all this is going on, the, the disciples had gone to get food. And they come back and they say, Now Jesus, we, we, we want you to eat. And he said in verse 32, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Verse 33, Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? They are like we are. Did somebody slip him a hot dog or something? Or I mean, did somebody come out here and give him something to eat? Jesus says something that is of paramount importance. Two pervading principles throughout all Christianity. Verse 34, he says this. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Those two purveying principles throughout all Christianity is number one, we must do the will of God. Number two, we must finish His work. A job that is not finished is a job, what? Left undone. We cannot be faithful if we don't finish well. Jesus gives us these two principles. Jesus was more committed to doing the will of God than he was eating his next meal. I can't even, you know, if I keep you here very long, it's, you start looking at your watches and stuff. Jesus was more committed to the will of God than he was to eating his next meal. Number two, Jesus was committing, committed to finishing the work. Those were the purveying principles of Jesus Christ's earthly ministry. Everything he did centered around the will of God and finishing the work. The will of God finishing the work. The will of God finishing the work. And I ask you, are you committed to the will of God for your life? And are you committed to finishing the work? Now let's see this contextually, what he's talking about. Because they never asked Jesus anything about this. They just said, we need to feed him. But he has a wonderful answer to that question of feeding. He gives them so much more. And he gives us so much more. After he establishes those two principles, the will of God and finishing the work, he says in verse 35, Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? What Jesus wants to convey to them is that the will of God and finishing the work involves personal evangelism. Now listen to me, church. I would like to stand up here and I would like to give you something that would motivate you and make you go home and make you feel real good about yourselves. But this really hit me as I was studying. I would love to say that I'm an expert, but I'm not. And I will tell you, the one thing that has hurt the church more than anything in the last few years is we have stopped 
witnessing to lost people outside these doors, one-on-one. It is the will of God that none perish. It is the will of God that we finish the work. Jesus is committed to seeing people come to faith in Him. That was His work. That's why He's at the well. That's why He's going to stay there and not eat when all these people come back. And many in the town believed as a result of it. Why? Because He was committed to the will of God and He was committed to finishing the work more than He was His own personal, physical, fleshly desires. So what does this text teach us? Well, number one, it teaches us now's now's the time, not the future. Now is the time. You say, he says, there are still four months, then comes the harvest. We don't harvest in January. don't go out and pick corn in January. But he says, I say to you, Lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. Jesus is telling them of these two purveying principles. Number one, do the will of God. Number two, finishing the work. He says, it happens right now, not tomorrow. Pastor, if I get some things in order, then I'll be a good witness. If I, if I get some things taken care of right now, it's not a good time. I'm in a bad place in my life. That has nothing to do with the commands of Scripture. And listen to me, church. I'm not being angry, but people get mad because someone says happy holidays. But the church doesn't care that they've stopped witnessing and people are dying and going to hell. And they're more concerned that people are saying happy holidays than they are the people dying and going to hell. Well, happy holiday. I'm not saying happy holiday. I'm saying Merry Christmas. Well, great. When's the last time you witnessed to someone? Purposefully shared what Jesus Christ did for you. You say, preacher, that scares me to death. It should scare us to death. It should scare us to death. I was visiting a fellow one time in the hospital. And I was talking to him and there was a young man there that worked out with the, the kitchen services and he had longer hair and um, the man walked out and he said yeah I've been witnessing that guy I told him he needs to get his heart right and get his hair cut and I said no man I looked for that young man out in the hallway I couldn't find him because I wanted to tell him listen God's more concerned about your heart than he is your hair I could care less about your hair care about your heart who in the world has made us an authority that we get to go around and nitpick everybody else and we don't do the one thing he's told us to do. Now's the time. Why is now the time? Because he says this, number one, but number two, because you don't have tomorrow. No one's promised tomorrow. Why did he go to Samaria when he went to Samaria? Because now was the time because there was a woman at the well. Do you think she was at the well by circumstance or coincidence? Nope, we don't believe in coincidence here, this church. We believe in the providence of God. She was right where she was supposed to be. 
Jesus didn't get there and say, well, there's supposed to be a woman here. No, he didn't. No, he knew she would be there. And he went. Why? Because now is the time. Now's the time. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they're already white to harvest. Look at verse 36. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. Jesus teaches them that there is both reward and joy in obeying the will of God. Not only for those who sow, but those who also reap. I will tell you this. If you go to witness to someone and they, are, they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, I will tell you the Holy Spirit has already been there before you were there. He's already done the work. Matter of fact, God asked us nowhere to do the work. God doesn't ask us to save anyone. We can't save anybody. I can't even save myself. But he asked me to tell them about what Jesus Christ did for them on the cross of Calvary. Why do we sing songs about the cross of Calvary? Why do we sing songs about the blood? Because that's what makes the difference. He goes on to say, verse 37, For in this the saying is true, one, it's capitalized, sows, and another reaps. Number three, the Holy Spirit empowers us to reap a harvest. The Holy Spirit empowers us to reap a harvest. This world doesn't need political agendas. This world does not need clever schemes of man. This world needs the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This world desperately needs to hear the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There was a little boy that went to Abundant Life. He came on our bus ministry and he was saved. He was saved at Abundant Life. He was playing over in Huntington one day and he ran out in front of a car and a car ran over and killed him. You know what? Thank God he got on that bus and rode to that church and heard the gospel and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and is in heaven. Think of your loved ones. Those that have gone on before us that are in heaven right now. Aren't you thankful that God sent someone to them with the glorious gospel and they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and because they believe they're in heaven right now? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers us with this message that we tell. I remember when we used to witness and go out and witness and we were out witnessing and it seemed like every time someone, when you began to witness and they might become under conviction, they said, well, where would Cain get his wife? You know, and they'd start all this nonsense trying to redirect you. You simply come back to the cross. 
You say, I don't know what to tell someone. You know what Jesus Christ did for you? Tell them that you were a sinner. And that because of your sin, you deserve to die. But someone showed you how Jesus died in your place. And because he died on the cross and he was buried and he arose from the grave. And you are trusting in him, believing in him, trusting him. Because you're trusting in him, you are going to heaven when you die. It amazes me how a ball game can control my emotions. And I can get so upset. I don't even get upset about the Reds anymore. <laughs> I'm just used to losing. But, uh, but we can get so upset over those things and we never shed a tear for one of our lost loved ones. We never shed a tear for the thousands that are dying daily in the United States of America because of addiction. We want it out of our minds. We want it away from us, church. What has the church become? What have we become that we no longer go out into the world and share Christ under the power of the Holy Spirit? Verse 38, I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Do you know it is the will of God that we personally witness of Jesus Christ? Do you know what the last thing Jesus said before he ascended back into heaven to the disciples? You'll be my witnesses. You stay right here in Jerusalem until... The Holy Spirit comes upon you, and when you are endowed with power from on high, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, then you will be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. But preacher, you know, our church, we have to do so many things. Listen, we don't have to do anything but what God's Word says we do. We don't have to be any way... We don't have to buy into this culture. We don't have to do any of that stuff. It is the power of God that works through the gospel of God when we tell it that saves men and women's souls. You see, we want it easy. We want to do mass evangelism where we come to church and we, we plan an event and people come and they get saved. We don't want to go out there and tell them. We don't want to go out there... Per- personally and confront them face to face and say listen you're on your way to hell and I love you and I don't want you to go there well preacher that's not a very good thing to say do you think in, in hell they'll be worried about what you were pleasant or not we're, 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 we got to get over this getting our feelings hurt so easily guys we're, we're ways, ra- raising a bunch of wimps well they said this to me well so what that's life. I can remember a, a drill sergeant who had no neck. And he was about 6'4 and about 260. And he hurt my feelings. But there was no such thing as time out. They had what we had called in, in basic training wall-to-wall counseling. And anyone that went to, back then in the Army, you know what I'm talking about. I can imagine someone saying, well, hold on, sir. Now, you've crossed the line. You're being offensive. 
Why? Well, he's got a job to do. He's got to prepare us for war. And the church is not preparing its members for war. We're trying to not hurt anybody's feelings because the offerings will go down. We know I'm at the place where so what? If you don't want to give, don't give. It's like we're not, uh, we're not running this. It's God's church. We some men and women will stand up and have some backbone and say, yes, it is the will of God to witness to lost people. And I am not sitting up here pointing my finger at you. I'm preaching to me. Because I need to be witnessing out there to lost people. Just like we do. You do. It is the will of God that we personally witness of Jesus Christ. There are many things the church does. When Brother Steve was a firefighter, his primary responsibility was fighting fires. But he had a lot of other responsibilities he had to do when he worked. He had to maintain the equipment. They washed the fire trucks every day. Was that his job? Was that his responsibility? Listen, his main job and responsibility was fight fires. All these other things went to that. Sunday school, Juana, these are important things. But our main job is to fight fires. Our main job is to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not to be popular. It's not to garner a big following. It's to see men and women come to faith in Jesus Christ. And we've moved away from that. Number five, the Holy Spirit is going before us. The fields are white. You're reaping where you have not sowed labor. The Holy Spirit is going before us. Wherever you feel a compulsion to witness, the Holy Spirit has always been there. He's already been there. And it's amazing to me. Through the years, the people that I've been, had an opportunity to witness to, and they'll say, they've come to faith in Christ, they say, you know, my grandmother or my mom and dad prayed for me and they witnessed to me, or this such and so-and-so preacher witnessed to me. And they didn't get saved right then, but years down the road they got saved. You know, one plants, one waters, but God gives the increase. It's never us. The Holy Spirit is going before us. And church, listen. you got to catch a fish before you can clean it. We've been trying to clean the fish before we catch them. Well, look at them. Look at them on all them tattoos. Look at all that. You know, for goodness sake, stop. Just stop. If we could just see sinners the way Jesus Christ sees them. Jesus loves that person just as much as he loves you. Same plane, no difference. You're no better. Lastly, I'd like to say this. He does not bring the fields to us. We must go to the fields. I sent you. The fields are out there. And Jesus said, I sent you. I sent you. I sent you, past tense. He has called us to be His hands, His feet, His body, His mouth. He's called us to be the body of Christ. 
When I look around and I see how bad the world is, and we could easily talk about all the bad, do we stop and think that it is the sovereign Lord that's called us to go into that bad world and take the gospel message and share with men and women, boys and girls? It's our responsibility. We have the responsibility to share Christ with a lost and dying world. Do you know that one day we'll stand before Jesus Christ and none of this stuff that we focused here on this earth will matter? All that will matter is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all that will matter. And, I, and I'm just telling you this. The method that God is using and has desired to use in the last days to get his message out is the church. That is his method. There is no other method. It's us. We can't put the responsibility on the evangelists. Thank God for evangelists. They do a great work. But we can't put the responsibility on them. We can't put the responsibility all on the Sunday school teachers. We can't put the responsibility on all on the preachers. It is our responsibility as a church to tell people about Jesus. Not rules, not regulations, not do this, do this, do this. No, about Jesus Christ. You share the gospel when someone believes the Bible says they become a new creation created in Christ Jesus. There are going to be some changes. Then they'll be open to learn and grow and to be taught. But trying to behavior modification someone that's lost is fruitless. It's crazy. I mean, I can't even keep myself from eating cookies. Why do I think someone is going to, that's not saved going to want to turn from their sin? The point is, we must desire to do the will of God, which in this context is witnessing, sharing our faith with the lost, more than we desire our next meal. And we must desire to finish the work. There were some in the New Testament days, they were saying, listen, you guys have been saying that the Lord's going to come back. You've been saying that since he left, since the beginning, since he died. And Peter steps up and says, wait a minute. The Lord is not slack concerning his return. But he is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. The only thing that's kept God from wiping this place out and coming back is he is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. He wants people to come to faith in him. And the method he uses is us. Do you desire to see people come to faith in Christ? Do you desire to finish strong? I started thinking about this. You know what the greatest way we can keep Christ in Christmas? The greatest way you and I can keep Christ in Christmas is to tell someone that has never believed in Him about Him. Now, the devil will let you teach Sunday school. He'll let you sing in a praise team. He'll let me preach messages. But he don't want you to share the gospel. Because if you share the gospel, someone might believe. And he can't destroy God, so he wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy us. He wants to keep men and women from coming to faith in Christ. That's what he does. 
And so I'm thinking now that we need to call on the Lord and ask Him to give us a good old Holy Ghost, old-fashioned revival in our hearts that would want to cause us to share Christ with this world. To share Christ. We have gospel tracts. You know the gospel is the gospel whether it's in this leather binding or it's printed on a track paper. If someone reads and believe, hears the gospel and believes the gospel, the moment they believe, they don't have to be in church. When they believe, they're saved. Read John 96 times. Believe, believe us. All throughout. 96 times in the gospel of John. Belief. It's always been about believing. And so Jesus stands and he says, listen, disciples, listen to me. There's something more important than your next meal. There's something more important than your fleshly desires being met. There's something more important. What is it? It is the will of God. What is the will of God? That none perish. That his disciples, in the context, they would go out in the fields, and the fields are all ready. They're ready for us. They're ready to reap. We just go and share the gospel, and men and women will believe. That's the greatest way to keep Christ in Christmas. We think by saying Merry Christmas versus Happy Holidays, we're keeping Christ in Christmas. That is a cheap way out. If you want to put the money where your mouth is, you will share Jesus Christ with someone. That is the will of God. That is the work we need to finish. What would it profit? Man, I, I've heard a couple of stories recently of men and women who have been in churches, grew up in churches, served, worked in churches, and as an adult, they came to faith in Christ. They said, you know, I'm embarrassed, but I was never saved. What have we done in our churches? Are we, have we moved from the main thing? What are we doing? It's time for us to wake up and Christ is about every day of our lives, not just about Christmas. And there are some who are going to be upset and they're going to say, well, that church down there, they don't, they're not even having church on Christmas Day. Well, number one, Jesus told us not to esteem, esteem any, one day any higher than another day. Both in, um, both in Romans and both in uh, Colossians, he tells us there is no Sabbath day. In the New Testament church. Sabbath was Saturday evening all the way to Sunday evening. It's not Sunday morning. We worship on Sunday morning because that's when he resurrected from the grave. That stuff's not keeping Christ in Christmas. What keeps Christ in Christmas is we're talking about Christ. You know, Jesus never asked us to celebrate Christmas. He did ask us to celebrate his death day. I don't think there's anything wrong with celebrating Christmas. We're, we just have chosen to do ours Christmas Eve. But the point I want to make is these religious standards are not keeping Christ in Christmas. Keeping Christ in Christmas is keeping Christ in Christmas. It's telling someone about Christ. 
That's it. And people are more upset over these religious, pharisaical things than they are that we're not sharing Christ with a lost and dying world. We're counterproductive. So my question to you is this. Are you committed to the will of God in sharing Christ with others? And are you committed to finishing the work? Would you bow with me for just a moment, please?